More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. It's time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary, and I'm Kelly, glad to be joining you as always. Want to thank you for taking the time to tune in to another episode of the podcast. Always enjoy being here with you. And hey, there are a few different ways that you can interact with Survivor Sanctuary away from the podcast, and that's through our Facebook group. It's Survivor Sanctuary Podcast. You can do a search for it on Facebook and request to join. You'll be asked to answer one question about the podcast, and I know you can answer it, and then I will add you to the group And you can post there, ask for advice, you can read what other people are saying, chat about the episodes, lots of stuff going on there. And you can also check out the Survivor Sanctuary website. It is SurvivorSanctuary.com. You can listen to all the podcasts there. There There's some blog posts there and some different information. You can also contact me through that website as well. So happy to have you here and we're going to dive into today's episode. And today I want to talk a little bit about one of the main tactics that perpetrators of child sexual abuse will use. Now this is used by people who abuse in all different kinds of ways. You'll see it in domestic violence, you'll see it in the sexual assault of adults, Uh, but for purposes of this episode we are going to be talking about how perpetrators use this emotionally manipulative tactic to deflect blame when they're confronted with what they've done and also to convince a lot of times entire churches of their innocence. You may have heard it's called DARVO, which stands for Deny, Attack, and Reverse the Role of Victim and Offender. So DARVO is something that once you get skilled at kind of having your eyes open and looking out for it, you'll start to recognize it everywhere. And the thing about DARVO is that really the only way to dismantle it and kind of make it powerless in the hands of perpetrators is for more people to understand what it is and to recognize it when they see it. And so I think that that's one of the problems uh, within the church that we run into a lot as survivors, that many people don't understand DARVO. They don't understand what it is that perpetrators are doing to emotionally and psychologically manipulate everyone into uh, believing them. And gaslighting, you know, is another word for it. But because so many people don't understand what DARVO is and how it's used and they just don't recognize it, it's super easy to fall for it. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of DARVO that you'll see, I think, in a lot of cases where somebody has come forward and said, hey, this person sexually abused me. And it's typically a person who is respected in the church community or in wherever they are in life. And they will respond to this 
accusation or this abuse victim coming forward and telling their story with Darvo. And obviously, you know, we know what the D stands for. It's deny. And that's the most important thing for perpetrators is to just outright deny what they have done. And that's the beginning of being able to gaslight people into like not only not believing the person that's accusing them, but actually to begin to feel all sorts of compassion and empathy for the perpetrator to the point where they end up ostracizing the victim and ministering to and caring for the perpetrator. It's insane. It drives me nuts. And if you're a survivor of sexual abuse who's seen this, or maybe you're an advocate who's seen this, I'm sure it drives you nuts as well. It is insane how this works. And once your eyes are open to it, it's like, oh my goodness, this is everywhere. And we, we see what's happening here. But for so many people, they've just never heard of it. And so they fall for it. And so you've got entire churches kind of being duped by these predators and perpetrators who are just employing DARVO, deny, attack, and reverse the role of victim and offender. So again, back to denial. Obviously, the easiest way to deny something is just to outright lie and say, I did not do this. And so you'll see perpetrators doing that a lot of the time. But you also see something else, and I think it's important to realize this when it comes to uh, talking about DARVO and understanding DARVO. Denial is not always super outright. So it would be easy for somebody to say, I absolutely didn't do this. This person is lying. But sometimes when there's enough evidence against them or it looks really bad for them uh, and this person realizes that there's a good chance that a denial outright is not going to work for them, sometimes their denial is a little more subtle. And I found this in my own situation when I had come forward against the man who had perpetrated sexual abuse against me and he wrote me a letter and in his letter he did not ever deny outright what he had done to me so I mean I guess you could sort of consider that a confession and think oh well he's confessing bless his heart you know he's he's doing the right thing and he's truly repentant but what he did instead of outright denying what he had done to me was to say subtle little things that called it into question. For instance, he said, did I really do this to you all those years ago? And so the first thing was, he was basically saying to me that he didn't have any memory of abusing me. He was saying he didn't have any memory of abusing me. And so that, of course, makes a person look more innocent than you would think. Like if somebody has no recollection of doing some horrifying thing and you put yourself in their shoes, like, oh my goodness, what if somebody came up to me and said, you abused me when I was a child, you did this horrible thing to me and I had no memory of it. Like it would immediately make you kind of have some sort of empathy or compassion for that person thinking, oh my gosh, if they have no recollection of it, it's almost as though they didn't do it, like a different person had done it or it had never been done. So That is denial. It's denial to say, like, I don't have memory of this. And it's not even saying outright, you know, the predator or the perpetrator is not saying, I didn't do this. They're saying, I don't have any memory of doing this, which is also a denial. And 
then to minimize what was done as a denial as well. And one of the ways that perpetrators love, 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 love to minimize what they have done is to talk about how long ago the abuse was. And I don't know if you remember, you may remember recently, there was a church in Indiana where a pastor, um, I believe it was Pastor John Lowe, stood up and confessed at the end of a service to having had an affair like 20 some years prior. And so that's how he led, that he had this affair that had been ongoing and it was over 20 years ago and he had repented and all this stuff and blah, 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 but that, you know, he needed to step down for a season because this had happened and, you know, come to find out what had actually happened because after he was done making his, you know, fake confession, his victim actually stood up and got the microphone and this went viral and it's been everywhere. So there's a good chance he saw it, but she stood up and said, you know, I'm the person he's talking about. And I was 16 years old, you know, when he took my virginity on his office floor and basically he had stood there and been like, this was so many years ago. And, you know, I just feel like I need to get right with God. Well, you know, the truth comes out. And what had actually happened was um, people were starting to hear her story and she was starting to speak out. And so he knew the gig was up and he confessed, I think, to get out in front of the scandal because it was going to break. And if he had already confessed, you know, that is a great way to garner sympathy or empathy or compassion from people within the church that will have already heard his confession. So when somebody comes forward and says, oh, he did this to me, they're like, well, he's already repented of that. And so I think it's important to remember when it comes to Darvo and gaslighting and all that, denial is not always direct. And so we kind of have to learn to identify these subtler forms of denial. And when you talk about not remembering what you did, or when you talk about how many, many, many years ago it was that this happened, those are just a couple of examples. But it's clear once you understand what somebody is trying to do and the way they're trying to manipulate the situation to their favor, it's glaringly obvious that All these little things that people say are ways of denying what they've done and they're ways to keep from taking responsibility for what they've done. And this happens in confessions. Like we're talking about counterfeit confessions today on Survivor Sanctuary. And these counterfeit confessions include denial. And sometimes the denial is um, a little more precise and sometimes it is... A little more subtle and some of the denials may not be somebody saying outright oh I, I did not do this but it's just as bad or sometimes even worse because it's a mind game that they're playing with the victim and anybody who might try to protect or minister to or stand up for the victim so you got to look out for those subtle forms of denial and anytime somebody is saying how long ago something happened and how it was just so long ago that they can't remember it. Or anytime they continually bring up how many years ago it was, like that's something that this pastor, John Lowe, did repeatedly in his confession. I'm putting that in air quotes. He kept letting everybody know that it had been 20 some odd years ago that this had happened. And that is a form of denial because it's making it seem like, well, it was so far in the past that honestly, 
like, really, why am I even confessing it? Because obviously I'm a totally different person now and I shouldn't be held responsible for something that happened decades ago. It's a form of denial. And so anytime somebody starts doing that and talking about how many years ago it was and just how long ago, and it's just difficult to remember based on how many years have passed between then and now, you know that they are employing DARVO to at least some extent. So that's the first thing, denial. So the second one is attack. And again, I feel like this is going to be a theme throughout this entire podcast and talking about every letter of this acronym, because not everything is going to be an outright attack, or at least it won't be seen as an outright attack by other people. But so often when somebody is confessing to some sort of wrongdoing or they're responding to an accusation, they will at first deny, like we just discussed, and second, they will attack the victim, or sometimes they will attack whoever has come forward on behalf of the victim. It doesn't have to just be the victim, but they will attack. And again, it can be a super obvious attack, like you're a liar, and you've always been a liar, and you've struggled with lying your whole life, and you know, this is just not true, and you've made this up. You know, it can be just a very outright attack. And sometimes attacks are a little bit more subtle. And if you've been on the receiving end of these little attacks that are on the subtler end of the spectrum, you know how this feels. And that can be more like, say a person has come forward and said, you know, this pastor sexually abused me when I was a child. And, you know, everybody who loves this pastor and thinks he's just an amazing and incredible person is obviously reeling from this. And there are going to be people who just don't want to believe it's true and want to protect their friend who is the perpetrator in this instance. And so they may say things like, oh, you know, not a full on attack. They're not going to come out and just attack the victim openly. But what they'll do is employ a little bit more of a subtle attack and say things like, well, this poor woman or man who's come forward, they're obviously really hurting and they obviously are very troubled. And, you know, that's not that's not an outright attack. And at first glimpse, it almost seems like you're offering compassion or you're offering empathy to this person. But what you're really doing is calling into question whether anything that they say can be trusted. And just because you're couching it in these nice words like, oh, you poor soul, you know, and, and pretending that you have sympathy for this person, what that actually is, is an attack. It's an attack on the person's character. Because if you can say, oh, this, this poor girl, you know, she's obviously a hurting young woman to be throwing accusations like this at our dear pastor. You know, we need to keep her in prayer and we need to just surround her in prayer that God will heal her heart and just crap like that. And, and, and I'm not making this up. Like these are literally comments that I've read that people have said. They're, they're things I've heard people say because it is such a common technique to try and turn the situation around when someone has been accused, especially if it's somebody you really like who has been accused. It's employed constantly. Darvo is always there. Deny first, then attack. And sometimes, yes, the attack will be outright. Um, and sometimes the attack is super subtle, like what I just told you. These poor hurting people, they're accusing this wonderful man of this. And, and we know that you would have to have such serious, serious problems to be able to accuse this brother in the Lord of something like that. So we can't even blame this victim here. You know, we just need to pray for them because 
they're obviously just so hurting and broken in life, you know, that they would do this. But what you're saying is they're lying. I mean, that's what you're saying. They're liars and they're lying. And that is an attack, no matter how sweetly you say it. And no matter how much fake sympathy that you use, you're basically telling everyone this person's a liar and you can't trust anything that they say. That's what we call an attack. And so sometimes, yes, it's going to be just open and outright. And then other times it'll be more subtle where you really have to kind of know what you're looking for to see it. But once you know, and once you, once you understand Darvo and this technique of gaslighting people, it is, you can't unsee it and you can't unknow it. And you're going to start recognizing it when you read stories or you see these viral Facebook posts about the going back to the church where Pastor John Lowe had sexually abused a teenager starting when she was 16 years old. You're going to see, you'll look at these things and you'll watch these things. And if you didn't already know, after you learn a little bit about Darvo and you learn a little bit about this technique that abusers use to try and basically get entire churches to turn against victims, you're going to recognize it. You'll be able to see it for what it is. And I mentioned this earlier, but I, I think it bears repeating probably several times during this episode. The only way to combat Darvo, this deny, attack, and reverse the role of victim and offender, the only way to really dismantle its power and to counteract it is to understand it and to be able to recognize it. Because if you don't understand what it is, if you've never heard of it, then when it's happening in front of you, you're probably going to fall for a lot of this. You're probably going to fall for, and, and I say this as a person who's fallen for this stuff before. I mean, I've heard people confess things before in churches. I've, I've heard people who ended up being not nice people at all tell their side of the story or respond to an allegation and, and feel sorry for them and think, oh, you know, dear, you know, as I got older and as I started to look into sexual abuse and learn more about it, especially within the church, you know, my eyes were open, but it's very easy to, to be emotionally manipulated by these people. And that's why we see entire churches, or at least the majority of entire churches, who will be rallying around offenders and basically just throwing victims to the wolves and being like, hey, you can go and, and bleed out in that ditch over there. And we're going to, in the meantime, minister to this predator because, you know, this was so many years ago and he's just super sorry and because he's served the church so faithfully all these years. And that brings me to the second half of Darvo. And after deny an attack, it's reverse the role of victim and offender. And so basically, I mean, that seems pretty self-explanatory. You're, you're trying to make the offender look like the victim and the victim to look like the big bad offender. And again, it's not always super forthright or outright just saying you're the person who's in the wrong here. It's a lot more emotionally manipulative and, and, and skilled people are really good at making the victim look like the offender. And I think that that's one of the, the biggest fears that people have going into trying to tell their story is knowing that so often victims of sexual abuse end up looking like perpetrators. 
or at least look like the person who is in the wrong in the situation. For example, coming forward about sexual abuse. When I told the first pastor that I told, he was helping to pastor this tiny little church overseas. And when I asked him for help, basically letting him know, hey, you've got a sexual predator in your church and he abused me and my fear is he's abusing lots of other people. I don't think he should be around children. Please help. And I wasn't asking him to help me. I was asking him to help the potential victims of child sexual abuse in his church. And he at first was like, oh, you know, I'm going to play along and act all sympathetic and empathetic. And I do think that it was playing at empathy because when I pushed a little harder and actually reached out to a child protective agency in Indonesia myself, this pastor became really, I don't know if combative is necessarily the word, but he was not nice anymore. And he told me, what you have done has put my entire ministry in jeopardy, both now and in the future. And he basically said that because I had come forward and because I had told this agency that his whole ministry for the rest of his life was in jeopardy. Like I could be ruining his ministry. So it went from hey, you have a sexual predator in your church and kids need to be protected. And it went from, we need to handle the problem of this predator. And it went from that to, you are the problem. And you, because you've needed to come forward, have put my entire ministry in jeopardy. And it's the idea that, and the pastor didn't outright say this to me, but this has been said to so many survivors of sexual abuse who come forward that they are somehow hurting the cause of Christ and they are keeping people from getting saved. That has been said to me, not by this pastor, but by other people that, that because you are coming forward about this abuse and because you're speaking out about the church and things that happen in the church, you're keeping people from the kingdom of God and you're keeping people from getting saved. And I like, there's no better way to reverse the role of victim and offender than to tell the person who was victimized that they have done something so horrible by coming forward that they're actually going to send souls into an eternity in hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is the ultimate reverse victim and offender, right? Because now you're not a victim of sexual abuse. Now you are a person who is responsible for the eternal torment of innocent people because you have chosen to speak out about this sexual abuse. That is gaslighting. And that is definitely a huge part of DARVO. So again, it's not going to be completely outright where somebody just says, hey, you're the, you're the problem here and you're the perpetrator here. They're not going to say it in words like that. Typically, what they're going to do is much more subtle and they are definitely going to find ways to make it look like you are the one or the victim is the one who is at fault and who is the problem in the situation. It was one of my biggest fears coming forward. And yeah, that fear was realized like you start to think of yourself as the problem and the issue because you know everybody just wants this problem and this issue to go away and as long as you don't go away the problem doesn't either and so yeah it's hard to handle all of those you know feelings and emotions as a survivor but I think that it's important for us to know that this happens and to be able to recognize it so you can say to people I'm not the perpetrator here. I'm not the problem. The person who decided to violate me sexually is the problem. And we need to keep 
we need to keep the focus on that and not turn our focus onto the victim, turning on the victim and making them look like the, the offender or the person who's at fault. And this also happened with my perpetrator. And again, he was super subtle about it. But in his letter to me where he, I mean, first of all, he was forced to write this letter. He was told he had to as a condition of his repentance. So this wasn't something that I wanted to read. It wasn't something I wanted from him. I I read it because they sent it to me. And he basically said, you know, toward the end of his letter, all I want to do with my life is just serve God. And I want to spend the rest of my life serving him. And the idea behind his words, though it was subtle, was that, listen, all I want to do with my life is serve God. And you're coming forward and, and telling on me about something that happened, you know, 30 years ago. All I want to do is serve God. And and the implication there is that I cannot serve God because you are doing this. And so you are causing me to not be able to serve God and, and to love God with my whole heart and to just, you know, use the rest of my life in ministry. And, you know, that puts a huge burden on a survivor's shoulders as well. Like, well, crap, like, I'm sorry that all you want to do is serve God with your whole heart and all you want to do is help people and minister to people. And I've just ruined all of that by coming forward and telling everybody that you're a giant turd who sexually abuses little children. I mean, once you've had a chance to unravel it and really pick it apart, it's like, okay, I'm not taking on that responsibility. Uh, Because what I'm doing is trying to save other children from being sexually abused. But that role reversal of victim and offender was definitely present in that counterfeit confession that I received from the man who perpetrated sexual abuse against me. It was just, it was there, you know, I, I want to serve God and that's all I want to do with the rest of my life. And this was so long ago. And, uh, did this really even happen? Wow. Can't believe I did that. Like just all this denial and not outright attacking, but definitely subtly attacking and this reversing the role of victim and offender. And it happens so often. And back to John Lowe and the church in Indiana, when his victim came forward and she was talking, like he was saying things like, I can't go back and change the past. I mean, I can't, I I wish that I could, but I can't. And just standing there looking like this just broken man, like I've already, I've confessed, I've repented, I've asked for forgiveness. And, and what can I do? I, I can't go back and I can't change the past. And just kind of garnering all this sympathy from people in the church to the point that at the end of this video, I was so disgusted and infuriated. Like just the fury running through my veins as this church surrounded the pastor after his victim had left the stage and they surround this pastor and they're crying with him and they're praying over him. And I'm just like, you know what? The person you need to be praying over is the person who just with handshaking and voice shaking stood up and said, this man sexually abused me when I was a 16 year old girl. He took my virginity. He basically abused me for years and I I didn't even understand what was going on. And she's telling everyone how much it affected her life and, and her marriage and her children and everything. And these people choose at the end, and maybe not every single one of them, but a huge, huge group of them just choose to rally around this pastor that they just found out had sexually abused a teenage girl in his church when he was almost 40 years old. Like they rally around him and lay hands on him and pray for him. And It's just like, it just disgusts me, but it's such a typical response of so many churches. Like, oh, you know, this poor man has put himself out there and he stood in front of this congregation 
um, confessing and doing the right thing, you know, nobody's thinking like, why would he just all of a sudden 20 some odd years later decide to confess? Well, it's because she was, she had told people in the church that it happened. She had told people in leadership and they had confronted him and he was going to have to confess to it. And they made him, it wasn't out of the goodness of his heart. It wasn't because one day he was convicted that all these years he'd been living a lie. You know, it wasn't that it was that he got caught and he was told that he had to confess and say that he was stepping down for an amount of time. And thank goodness that his victim had so much strength and courage that she could stand up in front of that church and say what actually happened. And so I don't think that there's an excuse after the fact for people rallying around that pastor. But of course, they're doing it because that's what people do. And they employ the same Darvo um, in this church, just like they do with victims everywhere. And that is to deny, to attack, and reverse the role of victim and offender. Because if you can bring the attention to the negative attention to the person who came forward, then you've done your job. Because if they hadn't come forward, you know, nobody would be feeling uncomfortable right now. And if they had just kept quiet or kept it to themselves or kept it between them and the pastor and, you know, oh, you go to them in private and, and, you know, we'll quote scripture out of context and tell you that you should have gone to this person in private and had this private conversation with them or maybe with a couple of elders, you know, and you can turn it around to be like this victim is just trying to destroy this poor innocent man's life, you know, and for something that happened so long ago, it is just classic Darvo and we have to be aware of it. And we have to know how to recognize it so we don't fall for this. And I think that it's a little bit easier for victims of sexual abuse and people who have already come forward and, you know, we're, we're living the dream here, right? We've already kind of told everybody that this has happened and this person sexually abused me and, you know, they may not be the person you think they are. And like, I was being very sarcastic when I said live in the dream, because we know what it's like to then have people turn on us. You know, after I came forward, I had people from that church that I'd known since I was a little kid, you know, delete me as friends on Facebook and, and not talk to me anymore. You know, I've had people that just refuse to interact at all with um, things that I post online. I've had family members say like that I'm dragging the name of the church through the mud and that I'm causing people to, to not believe in God or to have their souls burn in hell for eternity because I'm making the church look bad. You know, that's what I meant by living the dream. Like it's not something that's fun necessarily, but once you've gone through that, you kind of start to see it. You see Darvo at work and you see how it can be very subtle, um, but that it always ends up making the victim look like they're the one at fault. Obviously, they're not the one that's at fault for sexual abuse. Well, I shouldn't say obviously, because in some cases, even then, you know, what were you wearing? And you were flirting with me. And this, you know, I mean, we've heard that before, too. This girl was flirting, and she was, you know, always smiling at me and trying to get my attention. You know, people say that about children, too. So I shouldn't have said obviously not. But in some cases, you're not reversing the role as far as, oh, this person sexually offended. It's usually you're reversing the role as you're just the person who is at fault, period, for whatever bad thing is happening right now. So you make the victim out to be the offender in this situation. And perpetrators do this to victims, but I want to say, and this is important, so do their defenders. 
It's not just perpetrators who employ DARVO. It's not just perpetrators who reverse the role of victim and offender. Their defenders do it as well. The abuser apologists, as I refer to them sometimes. They're people who just refuse to believe that this wonderful man or woman or whoever could have ever abused anyone. And they're so adamantly opposed to believing it that they have to make the victim out to be the bad guy. Because I think that in their minds, it's the only way they can make sense out of it. It's the only way. Um, I had a situation where someone told me that a person had asked her to write a letter to a judge, um, basically like a character reference for a man who had been accused of sexual assault of a boy. (laughs) And he had been a youth leader, and this young person had worked for him, and this happened right in, in my town, and the number of people who refuse to believe that this man is guilty drives me insane. And so the story has become that this boy wanted a raise. He wanted a raise. He worked for the perpetrator. And so he and his family hatched this big plan that he was going to accuse his youth leader and boss of sexually assaulting him. And I'm thinking, yeah, (laughs) I'm sure that's what this is. First of all, if they wanted money from him and they were going to try to blackmail it out of him, they wouldn't have gone to the police first. They would have told him, give me money or I'm going to the police. So the perpetrator has told everyone they wanted more money and because he didn't give it to them, they decided to go to the police. Like they didn't file a civil suit against him. Like this is what we need to understand. The people who believe this man, and they do because this story is spreading. Oh, this kid and his family, they wanted more money. And so they made up this story. And I asked this person who had been asked to write a character reference to the judge. And where did they hear this story from that this boy and his family asked for money? Who told them this? The perpetrator. The perpetrator told them. He made up the story. So that's Darvo. He denied. He attacked the victim saying that he wanted more money and they're just money hungry people. And then he reversed the role of victim and offender by saying this kid is actually the perpetrator because he invented this big story. And and let me tell you something right now. You're not going to find a 17 year old boy who wants to go to the police and say a man sexually assaulted me. You're not going to find someone who thinks that's going to be a fun time or just an easy way to get attention or money. Give me a freaking break. That is a nightmare. And, And I don't mean to minimize how it is for women at all because it's a nightmare for us too. But for a 17 year old boy, the last thing on earth that kid wants is to be in the news for having been sexually assaulted and to have to go to court and to talk about this. And he's not getting money for this. That's the other thing that drives me absolutely insane. This is a criminal case that is either going to send his perpetrator to prison or find him not guilty and not send him to prison or, you know, whatever the punishment may be. But the result of this criminal trial is not going to bring any money to this child. And so it's insulting for the perpetrator to say, oh, he just wanted money, so he made this up. There are a lot of things you can make up. Like, I work for attorneys. I've worked in cases many, many times where people fake injuries because they want to be able to collect workers' comp. Trust me when I tell you there are plenty of ways you can get money from an organization without saying that somebody sexually assaulted me. And the fact that someone else in the church had sent a message to the pastor saying, I really think that this youth leader is sexually grooming 
the boys in the youth group. And I don't think he should be around boys. Months before this accusation came out, the pastor had received that email and didn't remove him because the perpetrator just said, nope, didn't do it. Again, Darvo, deny, attack, reverse the role of victim and offender. And that case just is it's textbook it is so textbook just you know hearing the things that people have to say this is a great man he would never do this and the victim is the one who's at fault and he's just inventing this story to try and and ruin lives so he can get money classic case of darvo and yeah it makes your blood boil especially as a survivor of sexual abuse when you know how this goes and you know that you're not lying and you know what happened to you and you know when you come forward like this all happened and the person who did it to me is a danger to other young people and I would say the vast majority of the time that's why people come forward I don't think I've met a survivor that's like yeah I was just really mad at my perpetrator so I just wanted to ruin his life and you know so I just came forward because I was so angry and bitter like it's not it typically we realize that we were not the only victim Typically, we realize that our perpetrator, it wasn't just this one-off thing where this totally normal, nice person just accidentally sexually assaulted a child one day and it happened to be me. And I'm sure he's never done anything like that ever for the rest of his life. Like You realize that that doesn't make any sense. And it starts to kind of come together in your head like, oh, okay, yeah, as a six-year-old, I thought this was all my fault. As a six-year-old, I thought I was the only victim. And those were the beliefs I carried with me into adulthood. And then when I start reading about it and understanding it and remembering it, it's like, no, like this, this was planned out by this person. And, and he, he had definitely perpetrated before. And that means he probably did it afterwards as well because he wasn't caught. And so that's typically what drives us knowing that these people are out there with access to children because they haven't been stopped. But when you come forward, it's turned around on you that you're just a bitter person. You're just an angry person. You're just unforgiving. And, you know, this was so long ago. If people believe you at all, this was so long ago. Or on on the flip side of that, you're remembering incorrectly. You don't understand. You know, it's Darvo. And it is used by perpetrators and their apologists, their defenders, almost every single time. And so I just want to say this about a confession um, because we're talking about people who like this church um, John Lowe this pastor in Indiana his confession like this whole thing started with his confession that Sunday morning to sin but if a confession includes anything negative about the victim or if a confession includes any call for feeling sympathy for the perpetrator It is a counterfeit confession. I don't want to hear, well, I was abused as a young child. And so unfortunately, I never got healing from that. And so I I did some things. I don't want to hear it. If you are truly repentant, you are going to confess for your nasty sin. You're going to confess for what you have done. And you're not going to ask people to feel sorry for you. You're not. So if you're looking to figure out Darvo, if you're looking to figure out how to identify whether a confession is true repentance or if it's counterfeit, if that confession includes anything negative about the victim or tries to paint the victim as a willing party, that is saying something negative about the victim. And and Pastor John Lowe did this. He said, we, he kept saying we, even after she came forward, he, he was saying, yes, we did this. Instead of saying, I did this, he was basically saying that she was a willing participant and she was equally at fault as he was. 
and she was a 16 year old child and he was a I believe 38 year old man and so if your confession includes anything negative about the victim it's a counterfeit confession and if a confession includes any call to feel sorry for the, the abuser oh I've just been so broken over this and all I want to do is serve God you know I uh, this this happened so so many years ago and I've just carried this burden for so long no it's a counterfeit confession you're not asking people to feel sorry for you if you're truly repentant you're not because you're the one that needs to feel sorry and nobody else right so uh, that's what I got for you today I just wanted to bring that up because we're seeing it over and over and over again we see Darvo everywhere deny attack reverse the role of victim and offender and it's really important to have this on your radar and to understand that this is a manipulation tactic. It is used, it's a technique used by perpetrators and their defenders the world over. And recognizing it is the only way to stop it. So I hope that you learned something on this episode of Survivor Sanctuary. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can always join us on the Facebook group, Survivor Sanctuary Podcast and let us know what you think there. I'll catch you back here on the next episode. See you then. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.